Welcome to the Steve Stein Guitar Podcast, brought to you by GuitarZoom.com. If you want to improve your guitar playing, keep listening. If you want to improve even faster, go to GuitarZoom.com, where you'll find all of Steve's premium courses, masterclasses, and memberships that'll help you quickly and easily improve your playing. Now, here's your host, Steve Stein. We weren't going to do any more live ones, and then we had so many questions that we decided we would continue on since it's fun to hang out. So, so that's what we're going to be doing today. Let's keep going and let's learn some more about blues. And again, we're celebrating the Creative Blues Soloing Guitar Course that has just been released. And if you're interested, I'm sure there'll be a link up here very soon that you can check out. Andra says, I love these live workshops. I'm glad that you do. UK is here. Jeff PCB says, what strings do you use? Usually I use GHS and the reason I, I've always used GHS boomers, which is why I still use them, but I love them because they have half sizes and I know other companies do too, but I've just used GHS my whole life boomers. And I love the fact that you can get nines and nine and a half and 10 and 10 and a half. And then they have heavy bottom. They have a bunch of different variations of things like that. On my Paul Reed Smith stuff, I tend to still stick with the PRS strings. So I've tried a bunch of different strings and there's obviously a ton of amazing strings out there, but that's what I stick with is I'm pretty much a GHS boomer player. And I like the fact that I can go to those half sizes. So for me, like during the winter, like right now we have a pseudo blizzard thing happening with really heavy winds and it gets cold outside. And so sometimes in the wintertime with my arthritis, I have a tendency of going down maybe a half size to make it a little bit easier for me to play. And then in the summer I'll kick back up, but it's different for everybody. So Dan is here from Delaware. Hey, Dan. Hey, Gary. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Jarmo. Andrus. Do I prefer to play without a trem bar? On my locking tremolos, I use it all the time. On guitars that don't have a locking tremolo system, I'm too terrified to usually put the bar on, so I don't really use it. But if it has a locking system, I absolutely will use the, and it stays in tune, obviously, if it's a decent locking system. I love to use the whammy bar, but on this guitar, it's not that it might not stay in tune. It's just I grew up in a time when <laughs> guitars that didn't have a locking system didn't stay in tune for crap. So I just tend to avoid if the guitar doesn't have a locking system. Hey, Dan from Joaquina, Florida. All right, cool. White Rabbit is here. Fiery is here. David Wood. I'm in Manchester too, says Jackie. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Let's go ahead and get started. I don't want to take all of your time today. One thing I wanted to talk about today was building, we could call it melody, but really landing on the right notes over each chord and then giving you some ideas how to approach this. Maybe you're brand new to soloing, you're brand new to scales or something like that. I still want to give you some opportunity to do some really cool stuff. And if you've been doing this a long time, you can use all this other stuff. Is it me or who doesn't see anything apart from the chat? I'm not sure, Daniel. I'm sorry about that if that's happening to you, but anyway. Let's go ahead and get started. So let's say, for instance, again, we're just using a one four five, which we've talked about many times, in the key of, and we'll just stay in A since we've been in A, okay? Hey, Sam. Hey, Greg. Hot Satin? All right, cool. That's a name right there, Hot Satin. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the A7, and I'm going to take the D7, and I'm going to take the E7, and I'm going to play them as six string bar chords just so you can see how this works. And this will tie into, we were talking about soloing and being able to change positions, right? Parallel soloing, I called it, right? So we're going to start with that idea. 
So if we were to take a look at this A7 chord, and we were to think, and again, it's okay if you don't know your theory. I'm just going to tell you this. The A7 chord consists of the notes A, C sharp, E, and then because we're playing it as a seventh chord, this dominant seventh sound, we're adding in the note G. Okay. If we were just playing A major, we'd be playing A, C sharp, and E over and over and over in different octaves. These six strings would be the notes A, C sharp, and E. Okay. But because we took that pinky off and we made this into this A7 or A dominant seven sound, what we're adding in is this note G. So what I want you to understand is when you're soloing or when you're creating a melody or whatever it is that you'd like to do, that note G becomes very, very important because it's a colorful note. It's not a note that existed in the original chord of A major. But when we add that note in, it changes the formation of that chord into what we call A7. Okay, So that note becomes very important for us to try and emphasize in our solo. And what do I mean by emphasize? Emphasize means you're going to maybe go to it more, go to it longer, start or end a phrase with it. I've always told people it's home plate or home base when you're playing baseball. It's where you want to get to. Okay. That's your goal is right there. So when you're playing, obviously the A is very important. To go to that A is a very important note. But it's also a very predictable note. Doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that it is. Okay. So the G, which is located two frets lower than the root or the A in this case. So no matter where an A is on your guitar, if you went back two frets backward, you'd wind up with this, the minor seven or what we call the dominant seven, the G. So just remember that there's a great little shortcut. So no matter where there's an A, if you go back two frets, you're on a G. So if I'm playing and I slide back two frets, I'm on G. Now, do I have to slide? No, I can do whatever I want. If I want to go and drop back down, I'm on that G. And sometimes we even emphasize that we might go to that A and maybe reiterate that A a few times and then slip back to that G. Let me show you what I mean. If I went... Right? I am, maybe right now I'm emphasizing that A and then I deceptively go and I drop down to that G. It's got a really nice sound to it. So two notes that you can try and emphasize over this A chord would be an A and of course the G. Now, if we were to think parallel going up, let's think about this. If I go up to the D chord here, which is my four chord. Now remember, we talked about how I can actually go up there and I can solo in D minor pentatonic or D major pentatonic or whatever I'd like. There's my D. And if I drop back a whole step, there's my seventh, my C. So in a parallel fashion of seeing the same thing up over the four chord in D, I could do the same exact thing drop down to that C. And of course, if I went to the five chord, which is E, let's just move that up to the 12th fret. I could play E minor pentatonic. And of course, E would be my root. Whole step would be the uh, D. And I could drop down like that. Okay. So there's lots of super cool things that you could do. 
Now let's add on some more stuff that we could do, okay? Before we start getting to the really good stuff, I just wanna set this up so you can kind of see what this is like. Okay, so what I'm gonna do now is I'm also going to emphasize the major third of my chord. Now remember, we talked about this before too. If I was playing A major, the notes I'm playing are A, C sharp, and E. C sharp is the middle note, it's what we call the major third. And again, if you don't know your theory, don't worry about it. It's something you could learn further down, okay? So here we are. So remember, we were talking about how the A minor pentatonic scale does not have that note in it. So what we did was we added it by doing what I called the minor to major twist, right? So we went from the fifth fret and we added on the sixth fret as a forward motion. Whether you want to hammer it or pick it is entirely up to you. Okay, but you'll notice how when I do that forward motion from the minor to the major third, so I'm really combining minor and major pentatonic in a way right there, right? And we've talked about that in some of these sessions. It lends itself to dropping into that root, which sounds really nice. Okay, but we wouldn't have to. I could stop on that major third and it would sound great. So if I went, now watch this. I'm gonna go from my major third to the seventh and it sounds really bluesy. Okay, so that's a really great setup right there. You could go to A anytime you want. You can go to the seventh anytime you want. You can go to the major third anytime you want. But what sounds really cool is if you do that minor to major twist and then you drop down into the seventh right there. See? Okay. And if I was on D, I could do the same thing. And E. do all of that same stuff. Okay? Thank you. So if that makes sense, that's something that you could do is emphasizing the root, of course, the major third, and a great way to emphasize that is that twist from minor to major, and then, of course, the seventh. Okay? So let's start with those ideas. Now, instead of playing in a parallel fashion moving this way, let's try and take all of this information and try and mush it into one position on the guitar. Now that doesn't make it better. You can do this parallel motion thing that I've been talking about and it works just fine. But let's say you didn't wanna move all over the fretboard. Let's say you just wanted to stay right here in this first position, but you still wanted to use that kind of idea. Now let's take a look at A7 and D7 here and E7, our one, four, five using our sixth string and our fifth string, right? there. Okay, so what we're going to do here is we're going to take that A chord, or that A7 in this case, and we know we've got our 7th and our 3rd, major 3rd. And those are kind of the notes that we're trying to target the most, although we have that root sitting right there as well. So we can use any of those. But remember, it's the setup. It's not just playing them. You've got to play something that sounds a bit bluesy and drop in 
or coming from below here. Whatever it is you'd like to do, okay? So that exists right there. Well, let's look at the D7 now. The D7 is sitting right underneath us and it's five, seven, five, seven, five, starting on the fifth string there. Okay? So obviously we've got our seventh for the four chord now, for the D7 chord, the seventh of that chord, the minor seventh sound is gonna be the fifth fret on the third string instead of the fourth string, okay? And then of course, a whole step higher than that would be the rule. Okay, but catch this. Here's my D7 chord, right? The seventh fret of the second string is the major third. Now again, if you don't know what the major, like I said, don't stress about the terminology. Just understand that that's the note that makes it sound major. Now here's the cool thing. That seventh fret of the second string didn't exist when we played minor pentatonic, right? Because we'd normally play five, eight. But now over that four chord, we've got that note right there, which is the major third. So we could play the root, the seventh, and the major third sitting right there. Now, if we wanted to do the minor to major twist, remember the minor would just be right in front of the major third, right? So I could go. And now all of a sudden you're playing a six in this position that you didn't have before. So you see, that's the cool thing of looking at this stuff. If you think about it logically, when I was moving up parallel, I wasn't in A minor the entire time. So I'm taking that idea and moving it all into one place. So obviously there's notes coming from other scales that I'm utilizing here. So would I do that over the one chord? Probably not, but it sounds great over the four chord. So if I was on the one, I could, whatever, here comes the four. You can watch this later. You can replay this and see it later if you're going, ah, it's moving a little too fast and I'm at work and I don't have my guitar or whatever it is, right? You can watch this later. But that's a really cool thing that you can do over that four chord. Just play any of those notes. And then when it goes back to the one, you could really easily move from the dominant seven or the minor seven of the four chord, just do a hammer on, and now you're on the major third of the one chord. Now again, I know that might be a little confusing for some of you, but that's the beauty of it, is when you do the parallel thing, you've got these big wide movements where you're moving from here and doing that sort of thing, and it sounds awesome. But when you're here, if you start thinking about the movement from this chord to this chord, it's just a small little motion to get from point A to point B, and you can do some really cool stuff by doing that. So when I'm on the one chord, four chord, one chord, I can drop back and forth like that, you see? Now the five chord, I could just move up a whole step higher, and I could do all the same stuff, right? I could come up here and do... And then the four, and then the one, 
Okay. So this was really cool when I started learning how to do this because I don't want to give off the impression, and I certainly do not either, that one idea is better than another. You know, playing major is better than minor, minor is better than major, or parallel movement is better than whatever. It isn't true. What you want to be able to do is any of those at any point in time because they all sound a little different. The beauty of that, again, for lack of a better term, that parallel motion is that it gives you this ability to make things that you might do a lick, and then four... You see, it mirrors the same kind of thing, and it sounds super cool when you do that. You're not going to do that when you're sitting down in this position trying to combine all this stuff. So one isn't better than the other. They just give you a different way of thinking about it. Okay? So if that makes sense, I'm going to show you this. If we go back to Led Zeppelin, if I do like... Kind of riff like that, okay? There was always this super cool part in that song that I thought was cool when Jimmy Page would go. If you know what I'm talking about. And I always thought, well, how in the heck does that work that you could play this, which I'm playing five on the fourth string and six on the third string, okay? Well, we've already defined that that five on the fourth string is the minor seventh or the dominant seventh part of the A7 chord. And then right here, the sixth fret is on the third string is the major third. So those are the two notes that I want to play. Well, Jimmy's doing that right there, okay, over that A. But when he goes to D, what he does is he moves it down one fret. So now he's playing four and five. I always thought, well, what, how is that even possible? Like D is a completely different chord. How could you do that? Uh, no, I'm not going to play Wonderwall right now. That's really not relative to what we're talking about here, although it's a good song, okay? So, so when I move down, what's happening? Well, let's think about this. This note right here on the third string is the seventh of that D7. The fourth fret of the fourth string is an octave of that major third I was talking to you about up here. It's just the octave of that. So he's still playing a major third and a seventh, but they're flipped upside down. And I never understood that when I was younger, but that's what he's doing. So over the four chord, he moves down. So of course, over the five chord, he just takes that and moves up a whole step. And then the one, he just goes in the center again. So what's so crazy about that is you have, because of this, what we call an inversion, you're playing a major third and a seventh over the A. You can fit a trill in anywhere you want, okay? And then the four chord and the five chord. So if you think about it, it's the same theory I've been showing you. It's the same logic that we've been talking about. It's just a different way of being able to use it, okay? So you could go from your A to your four to your five. And again, you're just staying in that same position. So there's lots of really great stuff that you can do. So while you're practicing your scales, whatever they are, pentatonic, diatonic, whatever you're doing. And again, I'll strongly caution those of you that know a lot about your pentatonics and diatonics to understand that your ultimate goal isn't to make everything diatonic. Because there's this misconception in music that pentatonic is like for beginners and then diatonic is for advanced players. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Pentatonic and diatonic always exist. They coexist. 
The differences is in your phrasing. It's don't get me wrong. I believe in theory and I love theory, but the problem is oftentimes it's easier to talk about music than it is to play music. Okay. So you find a lot of people that go, Oh, I understand Dorian and I understand Mixolydia. That's great. And I appreciate understanding all those things, but you still have to figure out a way to play it. So it sounds like music. That's the goal, isn't it? It's not just, you don't want to go on stage and go, I'm not going to play for you, but I am going to tell you what I know, right? Because that's not what music is. Music is we have to play. So if we can use that information and it benefits us in the way that we play in the sounds that we make, then it's doing us a service. If it's not, then it's not really doing us much of a service, right? Just because we own an encyclopedia doesn't mean it's really doing us any good. So I want you to think about that is, is using your theory to benefit your playing is an absolute benefit. It's a wonderful thing. Knowing theory just to know theory is just knowing theory, okay? I don't want to go to a doctor when I'm having a heart attack and have him go, let me tell you about the heart, right? I want him to get in there and do something to save my life. So think about that, okay? So when we're playing... The major third, even though you might not understand what it is, you now understand where it is, right? As we play, and if you watch all the lessons we've been doing, all the live sessions, it's all going to lead to this same place of learning how to combine all of these things together, okay? So hopefully that helps you a little bit. It sounds like we're going to be going live again on Monday, which is fine because I've got time to do it. Normally, I do the Monday Guitar Motivation anyway, so we might as well just go live and have some fun again at the same time. So hopefully that helps all of you out there. Brian's out there. Ryan's out there. And good. So that was about 20 minutes, a little bit less than, than some of the other lessons, but it's Friday and I've got a bunch of stuff I have to get to too. But I wanted to go live and just kind of show you this stuff. Do me a favor. If you're interested, check out Creative Blue Soloing. See if it's a guitar course that could help you. Like the video, share the video, subscribe to the channel, do anything. I appreciate any help that you can give me in spreading the word and allowing me to continue doing this for a living. I love it. So. Take care, stay positive, have a wonderful weekend, and I will talk to you all soon. And remember, if you need any other help, you can always go back and watch these other videos and see if you can start making logic about what I've been showing you for these last few live sessions. So take care. Next time on the Steve Stein Guitar Podcast. So today we're going to be talking about is phrasing. All right. So as people filter in here, we're going to be talking about phrasing, trying to put everything that we've been talking about kind of together. And there's a couple different ways we're going to approach this. When I was a kid and I was first learning how to play, the way I learned how to play for the most part, I had a few lessons, it didn't go very well. And I wound up just learning how to play by ear, which was really beneficial in some ways and somewhat detrimental in other ways. But that's how I did it. So what I would do is I would take albums and I would learn how to play. And yes, they were albums at the time. So I would take records. And what I would try and do is learn all the songs on one record on one side. That way I didn't have to keep changing the records and all that sort of thing. So I would just try and learn everything. And oftentimes if there was a song that I didn't really know, what I would do is I would try and jam to the song. And one of the records that I remember doing this a lot with was um, Back in Black by ACDC. So this, this puts us around what, 1980, I'm not sure what, but Back in Black, I was, it was probably 1982 for me, 83, 84, something like that. A little bit later than when the album came out just because I, I wasn't playing guitar quite then. But I love that album so much that that's the one I'm gonna talk about. So what I would do is I would take that album and I would put it on and let's say we're listening to Back in Black. I would try and jam in between Brian Johnson's singing. 
So when he would when he would say something in between there, what I would try and do is throw in some sort of a some sort of a lick, right? Now, this is where the beginning of our phrasing conversation is going to start, is when I would do that, I would have two options. Either I would try and sort of replicate some element of what he just sang within the context of the lick or the sequence, whatever you want to call it, that I would try and play right after he would sing, right? Yeah, Back in Black came out in 80, but I wasn't playing then. So, you know, I started playing in 83. So it was probably 84, 85 when I started doing what I was doing with it. So that's one way is, is you try and replicate some element, whether it's a rhythmic element, whether it's a melodic element, something like that, I would try and do in between some of his phrases. Mm. 